Welcome to the Awareness Offerings Podcast, a weekly offering of yoga philosophy discussion and guided meditation for the moments we're living in. I'm your host, Laura Tara Davy Joplin. I'm a yoga and meditation teacher, spiritual social media strategist, and integrative counselor, working to integrate the principles of the spiritual path into every aspect of my work and my life. This podcast is an extension of that work as I navigate the world as a white woman devotee of yoga, living at many intersections of privilege, living in the West, and trying to live with awareness. Thank you for joining me in this work. You're listening to episode 27. January 6th, Dale Cooper, Jung and Yoga. Okay, welcome to the first awareness offering of 2022, first episode of the year, and possibly the longest, strangest, and most convoluted title I've ever chosen for a podcast episode, but I will be tying together all of those concepts by the end of this episode. A couple of housekeeping items first. I want to orient you to the sensory experience you'll be having as you listen to this podcast. I have my space heater running so you're gonna hear this hum in the background throughout the episode and that's the reason my furnace is uh, currently out and I gotta stay warm it's very chilly in my downstairs where I'm recording this podcast so you're gonna hear the hum of my space heater keeping me warm as we chat and meditate together And secondly, if you'd like to support what's going on on the show here as we enter our second year of awareness offerings, you can do so by rating or leaving a review on whatever platform you're using to listen to the podcast, helps more people find awareness offerings, and if you feel called to share on social media or by word of mouth, I am deeply grateful for that as well. And as per usual, just deeply grateful that you are here and that I get to be here with you. So before I tell you more about what all of those different things mean in the title of this episode and what they entail for our discussion, we're going to begin as we always do with our opening ritual of singing the sound of Om one time. Om is a Sanskrit word and Sanskrit is an ancient language that is said to be made up of vibrations. So every syllable has an energetic resonance and the syllable Om is said to contain the energetic resonance of pure consciousness. So we're singing the sound of consciousness, asking for more consciousness and more awareness as we begin here. You can do that by singing it out loud or just by listening. And if you're coming along, I'll invite you to get your body into a comfortable position. You might, if it is safe and supportive for you to do so, close your eyes or just soften your gaze by looking down the tip of your nose or gazing toward the floor. Just turning away from the external and toward the internal for just a moment. I'll invite you to take a breath in through your nose here if nostril breathing is available to you. Exhale through your nose, clear some space for that consciousness to arrive. And then we'll take an inhale for one sound of OM together. Thank you for joining me in that practice. And now for this week's discussion. And as you can tell by 
just the wild nature of this week's episode title, we have a lot to get to. And it all starts with the fact that I record podcast episodes on Thursdays, typically, barring any kind of unforeseen challenges in the week or whatever else might be happening. But Thursday is my typical podcasting day. And this is my first podcast of 2022. And it just so happens that the first Thursday of the year 2022 is January 6th. January 6th. It is the anniversary of the January 6th attack on the Capitol, which is an event um, here in the United States where I am recording from that affected me very deeply uh, as it happened, as I watched it happen in real time, um, had had and has incredibly deep and sobering implications for our democracy and our collective here in the U.S. Um, And I'll just say, you know, right off the top was a product of rage at losing supremacist power, both the power of white supremacy, male supremacy, capitalist supremacy, um, because we as a nation have made progress in those areas, although it has been halting and uh, non-linear, but because we slowly try to live up to the ideals upon which this nation was founded, um, equity, equal justice for all, um, those ideals that, that the United States was founded on, because we've made progress, the folks who have benefited from the way we've the ways we failed to live up to those ideals the folks that have historically held power and the folks that this country was created for right this country that was really built on white male capitalist supremacist power um they have become outraged and january 6 2020 one year ago today was an expression of that rage as supporters of then president donald trump violently attacked the u.s capitol as they were trying to certify the the presidential win of our current president joe biden so just framing it in those terms because that is how i understand january 6 that is an expression of power and rage um, that continues to have repercussions and impact to this day. Um, I don't think that it's over. I think the process of dealing with the January 6th attack, um, holding folks accountable, and restructuring our our society so that we are not no longer in a position where it is so easy for acts of violent rage and insurrection to happen, it's ongoing. It's not over. So it's really interesting to be sitting here and thinking about this as an anniversary, which typically commemorates something that has happened in the past when it feels like this is an ongoing thing. But here we are. I'm sitting here. I'm recording my first podcast of 2021. Uh, on, I think I said January 6th, 2020, when I just referred to the Capitol riot. Sorry, it was January 6th, 2021. And here I am on January 6th, 2022, on the anniversary of the Capitol riot, recording my first awareness offerings podcast, (laughs) recording a podcast about yoga and meditation. (laughs) Um, And That can be really complex and layered because on the one hand, there is a school of thought in the world of yoga, meditation, and spirituality that believes itself to be separate from events like this, Um, politics, um, current events, 
violence, even political violence. There is There are ways of thinking in the spiritual community that believe themselves to be separate and that these two things are not related and that it is distasteful or dis, um, a disservice to the like loving intentions of the yoga practice to talk about things like this. I do not believe that. I believe in the yamas and niyamas, the kind of do's and don'ts of yoga philosophy as laid out in ancient yogic texts, um, one of which is satya, a Sanskrit word for truth. Um, telling the truth is part of the yoga practice. Ahimsa is another one of those um, yogic philosophical do's and don'ts. And ahimsa means non-violence. And so truth and non-violence in as far back as ancient yogic texts have been laid out as fundamental parts of yoga. So I do not believe that um, it is not yogic to discuss real world political violence in the context of a yoga podcast. But on the other hand, it's also like, how? How does one sit and discuss real world political violence, white supremacist rage, um, all of the deep layered nuanced factors that contributed to January 6th and continue to play it out in our society? How does one discuss that in the context of a yoga and meditation podcast? And that's what I'm sitting here processing and moving through in real time as I record this episode for you and with you. And first, I just want to acknowledge that I am actually not um, in the the best position to discuss this. There are folks, um, there are political scientists, there are scholars, there are activists, um, educators, uh, people with identities more marginalized than mine that are more directly impacted by this violence who are in a better position to be discussing this. And so I am not by any means trying to sit here and position myself as an expert um, to teach you anything, um, to gain anything from this, um, or to position my voice as the only one or the most important one. I want to make that really clear. What I'm doing is sitting here on this anniversary of an event that so deeply impacted me that it was like, a jolt to my nervous system and I'm still experiencing the after effects of that today. I'm sitting here processing it in real time with you in the space I've created on this podcast in the context of my experience as a yoga and meditation teacher. It is a processing. It is not by any means positioning myself as an expert. With that said, as I've sat and um grappled with for lack of a better word as I've sat and grappled with that question of how if because I believe it is indeed yogic to be in tune with the reality of our current events and situation um, in the context of yoga practice how do I talk about this this anniversary as I record this yoga meditation podcast as I've sat with that question I've had a few ideas and a few pieces of inspiration as to how um, I can best understand where we are now, this event as it continues to unfold through the context of the path of yoga that I am so devoted to. So I'm going to just share those ideas with you. And as you could probably tell from the title, it's all the things that I listed. They all somehow tie together Um to help me understand the path of yoga as it relates to January 6th. So we're going on a journey of January 6th, 
Dale Cooper, Jung, and yoga. So I'm going to start with a quote from Carl Jung, who was a he was a, a psychiatrist, psychologist, some could say a philosopher um, in the psychoanalytic school of psychology and psychotherapy. And one of the reasons I'm relatively familiar with Jung is because I also study um, in the schools of psychology and psychotherapy. I got my undergraduate degree in psychology, and I'm currently studying social work uh, to get a master's degree with the intention of being a psychotherapist. And so Jung has been in my orbit. Um, I want to acknowledge that there are issues with um psychoanalysis as a branch of psychology there are people have a lot of um, valid criticisms of Jung um, especially that he got very existential and in a way that could not necessarily be verified by science and I, I think that's valid but I also want to acknowledge that Jung in so many ways was dealing with consciousness and spiritualism and that can't always be quantified by science and sometimes the the desire to over analyze and and over quantify things in terms of scientific language can be a it can be a form of um or an um what's the word i'm looking for it can be a uh, the word's not coming to me it can be a way that that systems like capitalism and supremacy manifest themselves when we take ideas like consciousness and spirituality and we think they have to fit into these very quantifiable scientific boxes even though science is incredibly important especially in times like this um, but when we think that expansive matters of the spirit have to fit in small scientific boxes that can be a manifestation of capitalism and supremacy so i'm acknowledging that there um folks have some issues with young there are some very valid criticisms of young and psychoanalysis um but i also am acknowledging that he, he in many ways ahead of his time was um a philosopher of the spirit and of consciousness and so i'm starting with jung and then we're gonna just keep tying it all in and we're gonna get we're gonna get to the end of this this processing journey together but it starts with carl jung and specifically what i'm talking about is jung's idea of the shadow um, an aspect as a certain aspect of ourselves and our unconscious that jung studied and wrote about and um, made clear in a really specific way. So I'm talking about Jung's idea of the shadow. And so I'm starting with this quote. Um, and what Jung says about the shadow is that it is a hidden, repressed, for the most part inferior, and guilt-laden personality whose ultimate ramifications reach back into the realm of our animal ancestors and so compromise the whole historical aspect of the unconscious. So Jung has this idea of the shadow, this hidden, repressed, oftentimes dark and unacceptable part of ourselves. And the idea based in, you know, Freudian psychology, psychoanalysis, um, is that the way that we typically deal with our shadow, this hidden, repressed, unacceptable aspect of ourselves, is typically through the mechanism of projection. 
projection is when we take something that we feel or know or are afraid of about ourselves and rather than looking at it as a part of ourselves, we attribute it to another person. We project the qualities that we know about or are afraid of about ourselves and we project them onto someone else. Um, So projection is the way that we typically deal with the shadow. So I am thinking about Jung. I'm thinking about the shadow aspect of the self and I'm thinking about projection. So there's the Jung piece of this podcast episode today. Now I'm going to move into talking about Dale Cooper. Heads up that this piece of this podcast contains mild spoilers for the TV series Twin Peaks. Um, So if it especially... Uh, Not especially, but including um, the uh, third season of Twin Peaks, The Return, that was released in 2017. So if you don't want to experience some mild Twin Peaks spoilers, uh, you might want to skip this part. And um, you should be able to listen to the rest of the episode. Um, I will move on from talking about Dale Cooper into talking about January 6th and how this all ties in. Um, So you can skip ahead to the to the January 6th piece and it should make sense to you just with that awareness of of the shadow and projection Um, but right here we're going to talk a little bit about how that relates to Dale Cooper so if you don't want to have some Twin Peaks spoilers uh, in your life you may want to skip ahead. So um, I recently discovered the TV show Twin Peaks in March of last year. It absolutely changed my life. Um, David Lynch, who uh, was a writer and director on Twin Peaks, um, is my personal Jesus in many ways. I think he's absolutely brilliant. And I'm surprised I haven't talked about Twin Peaks on this podcast before. Um, But Twin Peaks means a lot to me. And Twin Peaks um, involves a character named Dale Cooper. And Dale Cooper is an FBI special agent who is assigned to investigate uh, a series of murders. And as we meet Dale Cooper and get to know him over the series of Twin Peaks, uh, we learn that he is very much like a Boy Scout. He is he contains this essence of what we would think of as like all American goodness. He has his values. He knows himself. He is always gung ho to do what's right. Um, and in many ways, in the earlier seasons, he is held up as this bastion of goodness. He is representative of pure goodness, or so we think. And then toward the end of the original Twin Peaks series, which lasted for two seasons and ended in um, the late 90s, early 90s, sometime in the 90s, at the end of the second season, a split happens. And we meet an evil version of Dale Cooper. We meet Bad Cooper. And then when we come back to the world of Twin Peaks, 25 years later in 2017, there's a deeper exploration of the good Cooper and the bad Cooper. They are two separate entities in this show. Now, I recently learned that Mark Frost, who was also a writer on Twin Peaks, um, has explained Dale Cooper, especially the the split between good Cooper and bad Cooper, um, as a Jungian split. He was inspired by Carl Jung and Carl Jung's idea of the shadow. And he has said that the bad Cooper, the evil version of Cooper that we meet at the end of season two and explore throughout season three, um, is meant to be representative of an unintegrated shadow. 
an unintegrated shadow, meaning that repressed, hidden, often dark, undesirable aspect of ourselves, unintegrated. So it's, it's a representation of the shadow that we all have, but have not done the work to acknowledge, to face, to look at, to process, and to accept as a part of ourselves. That is what an unintegrated shadow means to me. And so Dale Cooper, this this good version and this evil version, is meant to represent these different aspects of ourselves. The good Boy Scout Cooper is believes himself to be this moral, this pillar of moral rightness. Whereas there is this bad Cooper, this evil version who runs around doing all of these horrible, unspeakable things that the quote unquote good version of Cooper couldn't even, would never even conceive that he would be capable of. And one of the writers of Twin Peaks has said that this is the Jungian shadow. This is a an exploration through art, through the medium of television and the medium of art of what happens when we don't integrate our shadow, when we don't acknowledge that there is a piece of us that is capable of dark, unspeakable things. And when we don't acknowledge it, it runs around and wreaks havoc anyway. And that's what we see happen with this, this quote-unquote bad Dale Cooper. So we've talked about Carl Jung, what the shadow is, how people deal with it. We've talked about Dale Cooper, this figure from the TV series Twin Peaks, who has a good version and a bad version, which is really just meant to represent that idea of the shadow, the split between how we view ourselves and what we are actually capable of in our darker moments. And now it's time to talk about January 6th. Because... January 6th, 2021, one year ago today, it was an incredibly dark day. As I touched on earlier in this episode, there was just rage. And when I watched, both as I was watching it in real time, because that day, a year ago, um, you know, I was, I remember being in the bathtub and just you know, opening a news website, expecting to see news about the certification of of the 2020 election, and instead saw this massive blaring headline of, you know, rioters have breached the Capitol. And I just like, what? And so I turn on the news and watched in real time as the violence boiled over. And in that moment, it felt like rage, but even watching it then, I didn't fully understand the amount of rage. It was a few weeks later when um, an impeachment was he- hearing was happening um, for former pre- former President Donald Trump over his role in inspiring January 6th, and there was a 14-minute compilation video put together with footage from that day, and that is when it really hit me that there was just unbridled rage rage at losing power from people who were used to having it in a way that disadvantaged so many other people and as we work in our society toward more equity toward the type of power that is collective and does not disadvantage other groups of people these groups that have been historically advantaged are outraged at losing that power and i could just 
feel viscerally the dark rage present in the expression of violence that was the January 6th attack. And so January 6th was incredibly dark. And the reason that I shared about Carl Jung and Dale Cooper and the shadow self and unintegrated shadows to talk about this dark day on the anniversary of January 6th is because that expression of dark rage feels like our collective unintegrated shadow. And when I say our collective unintegrated shadow, I mean that in a couple of ways. I mean as a country, as a country that believes itself to be the the good Cooper, right? This pillar of goodness who knows our moral values and is always there to help other people and do what we know is right. In so many ways, we believe ourselves to be that way. We have this sometimes unearned patriotism and this God bless America-ism that holds us up as this world leader of what is good and right. So we, in so many ways, we believe ourselves to be the good Cooper. But we have a bad Cooper too. We have a shadow that runs around and wreaks havoc. And January 6th was one of the most stark expressions ever of that unintegrated shadow so that's one way i mean it when i say that january 6th was our our bad cooper our unintegrated shadow but i also want to be really clear that when i say we it really applies mostly to a certain group of people because to my awareness and understanding a lot of the, the folks of color, the black folks, the um, queer folks, marginalized folks that I listen to and learn from, they're not really sitting around saying, yeah, America. You know what I mean? They're not sitting around holding America up on this pedestal as the shining example of what is good and right and virtuous in the world. They love America. But they're clear on what needs to change so that America can love everybody back. So when I say it's our collective shadow, I'm I'm not really referring to marginalized people who are historically disadvantaged in America. I'm referring to folks who have historically been advantaged, who have had the power and the privilege in America. White folks, folks with wealth, men. able-bodied folks. I fall into a lot of those categories. And so I want to acknowledge and position myself really clearly. But when I say the collective shadow, I'm really referring to that group of people um, in many ways of which I am a part who benefit from holding on to this idea of America as the good Cooper. um, Because having to acknowledge that we have a shadow side, an unintegrated shadow, would mean having to acknowledge the darkness that exists within us and the ways that we benefit from our historic power and privilege and the violence that that has caused to other people. So January 6th, as our unintegrated shadow, it's what happens when we allow an idea of 
goodness, quote unquote goodness, perceived goodness to take up so much space that we don't hold space and intellectual curiosity about the idea that we could also be capable of some pretty fucked up shit. And refusing to acknowledge that we're capable of fucked up shit doesn't stop the fucked up shit from happening. It means that we're not conscious of it. We don't have any agency over what's going on with our darkness. And so it just grows and grows and grows completely unattended until it spills over in these giant acts of violence and rage, like the one that we saw a year ago today. And I I say this knowing that it's kind of sad in a lot of ways because if January 6th was our unintegrated shadow, we haven't really done a ton of work to integrate it because since it has happened, you know, there were a few weeks where most people were on board with the fact that this was unacceptable and completely antithetical to the idea of democracy and the ideals that we are striving toward as a country but then the narrative started to shift and it it got pretty divided again and um, the folks who benefit from that idea of america as the good cooper as the as the as the pure essence of what is good in the world um started to tell those of us who watched it happen that we didn't see what we saw So we took that shadow and we just repressed it right back down rather than doing the work to integrate it and say, okay, this is what we are capable of. This darkness exists in us. What do we do about it? So we've talked about Jung. We've talked about Dale Cooper. We've talked about how all of these relate to January 6th. But then the question becomes, how does all of this relate to the path of yoga? And it's pretty simple, actually. And that's one of the things I love about yoga. Even though it deals with our human experience, which is so complex, and there are so many rich and deep and multifaceted ideas that make up yoga philosophy and and the teachings of yoga, when it comes down to it, it's pretty damn simple. The Sanskrit word yoga means union. Another way of thinking about union is wholeness. And the yogic idea of wholeness, as I understand it, is a willingness to be with all of us, every aspect of ourselves. The goodness and the destructiveness. The beauty and the ugliness the joy and the deep pain. That is what wholeness means. And it plays out really clearly in in mythology, um, Hindu mythology, which is not the same thing as yoga, but it has influenced yoga because they, yoga and Hinduism grew up at the same time and in the same place. Um, And it plays out there. There are you know, in the, in the deities or sort of the, the figures, the symbolic figures that teach us about the sacred in yoga and Hinduism, there are, you know, these beautiful goddesses who are just radiant and 
gentle and abundant and just everything that is soft and gorgeous. And there are goddesses, sometimes the same goddesses, sometimes they're one and the same. There are goddesses who are described as looking like demons, who have swords, whose mouths drip blood, and who carry around human heads. There is the beauty and the deep darkness, and sometimes they coexist in the exact same form. I'm thinking about the Mother Kali when I say this, so if you are interested in learning more about what I mean by that, um, do some do some work, do some exploration um, on the Mother Kali. So yoga readily acknowledges that there is both the capacity for deep beauty and bliss and darkness and destructiveness in our nature and that the way to the way to integrate all of that in a way that is supportive for both us as individuals and us as a collective is wholeness is the willingness to be with all of it to acknowledge all of it so that no part of it goes untended and is allowed to fester and grow and spill over. All of it can be faced with awareness and we have a more agency and power to choose which aspect of ourselves we allow to take the lead in any given moment. It's not easy, but it feels pretty simple. This has been a longer discussion. Like I said, we had a lot to cover and I'll close it just by offering a reflection on goodness. And so many people that I learn from and admire have already offered similar reflections on goodness. Mary Oliver in the poem Wild Geese, You Do Not Have to Be Good. Lama Rod Owens, a Buddhist Lama and incredible teacher uh, talking about releasing the need to be good. And I just want to sort of echo that and say, you know, this idea of like a good Cooper and a bad Cooper or a good America and America as this moral pillar of goodness, it seems like it's time to let that go. The idea that we need to be good, that that is what is most important. It seems like what is most important is that we need to be whole so that we are aware of everything we are capable of and can choose to live and act and respond accordingly. So with all that said, let's go into some practice. This may be a shorter practice because we've spent so much time in discussion um, but like we talked about, the practices are actually pretty simple and we're just going to take this idea of embodying all that we are, all that we're capable of, the bliss and the destructiveness and embodying it from a place of wholeness and presence to it all. So if you're not in a place where you can sit uh, and go into some stillness and contem contemplative practice, this might be a good moment to pause the podcast and return when you're able. If you're coming along now, I'll invite you to get your body into a comfortable position. Any position, probably seated, but really any, that allows your spine to be long, 
You can sit on a chair, on the floor, on a cushion, on the couch. You can use back support, put something under your tailbone, position your arms and legs however you need to. Just lengthening your spine, the center line of your body, where your nervous system lives and where your energy flows as a way of creating more connection, as a way to connect to yourself for this practice. As you find your seat, you might soften your gaze by closing your eyes, gazing down the tip of your nose, gazing at the floor. Just releasing the external just for these few moments and turning towards yourself instead to establish presence for this practice. Not releasing the external so that we don't have to acknowledge what's going on in the outside world, but releasing it so that we can take care of ourselves through practice to continue to be in the outside world. As you establish presence here, you might turn toward your breath and begin to notice the flow of your inhales and exhales as they move through your nostrils, if nostril breath is available to you. The breath as something clear and real that's happening right now that can continue to support your presence. But it doesn't have to be the breath if that is not supportive for you. You can choose to focus on anything that's happening right now. Maybe a sound that you hear. The feeling of your clothes on your skin. Just turning toward your moment. Even if it includes, you know, big emotions that you're feeling right now. Even if it includes thoughts that are running through your mind. Sensations you feel in your body. Just turning toward it all. And already you're practicing a willingness to be with the wholeness of your experience. Whether it feels natural and blissful already to be going into meditation or whether it feels difficult and uncomfortable. Maybe it's all of it at once. Already turning toward the wholeness of your experience. And then from here, I'll invite you to turn your palms to face up and rest the backs of your hands on your lap, your knees, your thighs, wherever it's comfortable. I'll invite you now to bring some awareness to the right, to your right hand. Just imagine you're holding the sun in your right hand this bright, fiery orb. You might even imagine that you feel its warmth in your right palm. You might visualize seeing it in your right hand, whatever works for you. And the way that I'm about to describe kind of the two different sides of the body that we're going to work with is a little bit different than what yoga philosophy, how yoga philosophy typically describes them. But I'm and I'm doing this for the purposes of this particular meditation. So just know that it's a little different. 
But as you hold the sun in your right hand, just imagine that it contains that essence of goodness, the beauty, the bliss, the truth, the lightness, the essential goodness that is absolutely a part of you and a part of your nature. Just holding that in your right hand as you hold the sun. sitting with how it feels, what comes up as you imagine holding these qualities that represent quote-unquote goodness in the essence of the sun in your right hand. And then I'll invite you to shift your awareness so that now you are noticing the palm of your left hand. And then imagine holding the moon in your left hand. This kind of darker, denser orb. Maybe a little cooler than the sun. And again, this is the qualities I'm about to describe are not typically what yoga philosophy teaches about the moon. We're just using them for the purposes of this practice. So as you imagine holding the essence of the moon in your left hand, it's like it contains those kind of darker, denser qualities. The things that might be hidden, kind of like the moon is sometimes hidden away in different phases. The things that might be shadowy, undesirable, even destructive, or dark. Just imagining holding that essence in your left hand as you hold the moon. Noticing how you feel as you sit with that aspect. And then on your next inhale, I'll invite you to slowly begin to circle your palms toward each other. Really take your time and notice how it feels as your palms get a little closer and that kind of magnetic energy uh, becomes present between your hands. And you might even let your hands attract and repel like magnets. Representing the flow and flux of these two different energies, the, the beauty, the bliss, the darkness, the destruction. And then eventually you allow your palms to touch, kind of creating an eclipse. Sun and moon merge. And you bring the thumbs to the center of the chest so that your hands are at your heart. And you might bring your awareness to the center of your chest for a moment, maybe feeling the light pressure or warmth of your hands, Maybe imagining the light of sun and moon at your heart, or maybe just breathing in and out at the center of your chest, your spiritual heart. And here at the center, these two energies meet, sun and moon, light and darkness, bliss and destruction. They're both here. And we can actually release value judgment around them. 
the need to quantify one as better or worse than the other. And instead just see them as they are, being present to them. This wholeness at the heart, at the center, just breathing into it, feeling into it. affirming from this place of wholeness at the heart that when we acknowledge all aspects of ourselves we have power we have the power to decide which will lead us in any given moment I'll invite you here to take a breath in through your nose. And as you exhale, if it feels good, by your forehead towards your chest. An act of bowing to your courageous willingness to be with all aspects of yourself, the beautiful and the uncomfortable, so that you have the power to decide which aspects you lead with in the world. I offer a deep bow to you. When you're ready, you can release your hands. You can begin to blink your eyes open. Coming back. And as we do so, I just reaffirm that it takes courage to be willing to acknowledge that there is a shadow aspect in all of us that is sometimes made manifest in collective ways, like the violence we experienced a year ago. But I firmly believe that the more we acknowledge it, the more power we have to integrate it and be more whole together. Thank you for joining me for this awareness offering and for going into embodied practice with me. You can find me on social media at Laura Tara, L-A-U-R-A. T-A-R-A on Instagram, Facebook, and YouTube. My intro and outro music was created by none other than my very own brother, Oxella Sun, O-X-E-L-A-S-U-N, whom you can also find on Instagram.